It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, January 21st, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Yakutat disbanded its incident command Tuesday night, effectively ending the state of emergency issued last week by city officials. Between January 8th and January 11th, a combination of near-freezing temperatures and rain caused snow loads to become dangerously heavy on structures throughout the city. Borough manager John Erickson requested federal and state assistance, and the state deployed over 20 Alaska Army National Guard service members to aid in the snow removal efforts. Erickson said at the height of the cleanup effort, the city had around 70 people shoveling. So we brought in shovelers from all over Alaska, as far away as Unalakleet and so on, and uh, they just started leaving on the plains yesterday. The community health clinic sustained the most severe damage. It has since been repaired and resumed outpatient services. With snow accumulation under control and weather conditions improving, Erickson says the situation is far better. The clinic has opened up again, so we're happy about that. Uh, the school, the tribal offices are, have been deemed safe, and so they're all open again. You know, we feel, we're, we feel very fortunate, and the weather seems to be turning in our favor. It's looking much better. In a disaster declaration issued last week by the state, Governor Mike Dunleavy suggested that the city could apply for reimbursement from the state public assistance fund for the cost of the cleanup effort. While the city hasn't seen any money from the state yet, Erickson says he's confident they'll be reimbursed for much of the cleanup and repair costs. There are currently seven active coronavirus cases in Yakutat, according to the Department of Public Safety. Six of the positive cases are in local residents and one is in a non-resident. All seven of the positive individuals were symptomatic at the time of testing, and six of them are vaccinated. Four of the cases are linked to recent travel outside the community, and three of them are being attributed to community spread. Since the onset of the pandemic, Yakutat has reported a total of 70 cases. As of Wednesday, every household in the U.S. can order four home test kits for COVID-19 from the Postal Service. The program was launched by the Biden administration, which purchased one billion kits for use by Americans and is distributing them in two phases. Alaskan health officials say the kits work exceptionally well to detect positive COVID cases. What they'd like people to understand is that the kits can also produce false negatives. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. With home test kits, context is everything. Someone in your child's classroom comes down with COVID, soon your child isn't feeling well. Dr. Coleman Cutchins, the state's chief pharmacist, says a home test kit will produce a reliable positive test for your child if used correctly. For the most part, home tests are really good. I mean, we're using them in our household with, with kids in school and, and with people with symptoms that could be COVID. You know, most of them, I think it's also important to remember, are two tests. So, you know, when you get the first test and it's negative, it's important to uh, follow the directions on the test and do the second one, you know, 24 to 48 hours later, depending on the test and what the instructions say, um, and get that second negative. But home test kits are not always a slam dunk. There are variables in testing that tend to favor false negatives, and it can be confusing. All of these tests require a certain amount of virus on the swab to detect a positive. And, you know, we get a lot more false negatives. You know, if we have two people living in the same household with the same symptoms, one could test positive and the other test negative. Likely they both have COVID. Just the one who tests negative wasn't caught in that window. Some people can test positive for a very long period of time. Some people have a very narrow window where they test positive. 
Dr. Ann Zink, the state's chief medical officer, says doctors will put a COVID test in context. The Omicron variant, especially, is highly transmissible. If you've had a significant exposure, like someone coming down with COVID in your household, doctors may connect the dots, even if your home test kit shows a negative. I think clinically we see this all the time, where one person will test positive or negative. And making that decision, if someone really has COVID or not, in that clinical setting where we're seeing a family or a group of people, has to do with what's circulating, as well as who's tested positive. So if people are both symptomatic in the family, they've had similar symptoms, one or two of them have tested positive for COVID, particularly if the other people are not up to date on their immunizations and have similar symptoms and there's nothing else that tests positive, it's probably COVID in that sense and would treat it in the same sort of way. So in a nutshell, with any one of the many varieties of home test kits now being distributed across the country, a positive is likely a positive. A negative, however, might just be a positive if you didn't use the test correctly or you took it at a time when you weren't shedding virus. Your healthcare provider will look at all these factors, including your immunization status, to confirm if you have COVID or perhaps one of the other pathogens circulating this time of year, like the common cold or influenza. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. To find a link to the U.S. Postal Service website where you can order your free home test kits, visit our website, kcaw.org. If you do happen to come down with COVID during the current spike in the Omicron variant, chances are you may not receive one of the monoclonal antibody treatments that proved so effective during the Delta surge last fall. Two out of the three antibody treatments used during that time don't work against Omicron, and the third that does work is in limited supply. Instead, state pharmacist Dr. Coleman Cutchins says you'll likely get oral medication, in other words, a pill. You know, with vaccines and monoclonals, we, we saw this sort of like linear, steady increase in supply. With the orals, I really think it's going to be more like an exponential curve straight up. We're going to get more and more of these orals. In. And I think it's important to remember that these are much better options to give to a lot of people. They're easier to deliver. Um, and I think we all would rather take an oral med than have to go somewhere and get infused with an IV. There are two types of oral medications for COVID, one of which has come on the market so rapidly that the Alaska Department of Health has been able to double the availability of the drug. And although vaccination remains the best of all tools against COVID-19, the state's chief medical officer, Dr. Ann Zink, says outcomes are generally improving for COVID patients. The good thing is that most people who get COVID-19 are going to do very well at this point. Um, most people have either been vaccinated or previously had COVID-19, and particularly the younger and healthier you are, the more likely, particularly with the Omicron variant that looks to cause less severe illness, you might feel miserable, but you may not need treatment and your body may recover well with just supportive care. DHSS officials are encouraged by recent downturns in cases in South Africa where the Omicron variant first emerged, and by recent dips in major urban centers in the U.S. In Alaska, however, cases are continuing an upward trend. Petersburg School Board updated its COVID mitigation plan Tuesday night, keeping masking in place but loosening some other protocols. The plan shortens quarantine times for positive cases and no longer requires travel testing. KFSK's Angela Denning reports. The school board vote to adopt the plan was split, three to two. The differences in opinion surrounded the masking policy, which got the most public attention. The school board received a lot of letters, and they heard from people at the meeting both for and against masking. 
Fifth grade teacher Vanessa Miller asked for optional masking, saying masks don't protect the children and her own kids don't like them. She said she is an educator, not the mask police. I believe they should have a choice. I strongly believe that. I believe that this is America. We have choices and we have control of that. And um, right now I'm feeling like their, their voice is not heard. The masks have caused stress and anxiety in my kids. They want to breathe air just as God has intended them to, to do. Third grade teacher Becky Martin supported universal masking at all three schools, saying that it will help kids stay in the classroom. She said positive cases are far more detrimental than masking. During remote learning this year, my class has had a 50 percent attendance average. And my struggling students, usually those who don't participate virtually, are probably even farther behind. The school board came to the meeting having discussed the issue for a few hours already in a work session. This time, there were two main options on the table. One, which ended up passing, kept universal masking. The other option included masking on the move at the elementary school, allowing students to go without masks in their classrooms. We can all agree that our goal is to have kids in school learning. That's board member Meg Litster. She voted for loosening masking at the elementary school, even though she said masks help stop the spread of the virus. Litster said she was still concerned about the vulnerable population that can't mask or vaccinate for medical reasons, and she was concerned about children not staying in school because of quarantines. But in the end, she leaned towards individual accountability. Now that vaccines are widely available, it is time to move towards personal choice and accountability. Jay Lister was the other no vote. He didn't speak much on the issue. The other three board members wanted to keep universal masking for the time being, which was what the administration recommended. School board president Sarah Holmgren said she was open to reconsidering a change at their next meeting February 8th. I am not opposed at all to considering the masking on the move for K-5 grade, but I am really just worried about what the next few weeks look like with um, the rising cases. Board member Katie Homeland said she had been on the fence until the meeting. She says she had planned to loosen masking policies when everyone could get vaccinated, but ultimately she looked at what their mission was. My personal strategy was to go back to our board policies and our goals for student learning, our goals for our school district, and what we have set out to accomplish for students for our community. That's what my vote will be aligning with is our board policies. The school will no longer contact Trace for students and staff according to the new plan. The schools are expecting families to do that now. Only positive cases are required to quarantine, not close contacts. The quarantine time has been shortened to five days, down from 10. So students can return on day six with masking. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.